0: Here at Faith Bible Church, we are in a series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And as Jesus has gathered, or as a crowd has gathered around Jesus as he sits on this hilltop teaching, he is talking to them about what it means to be right with God. What it looks like to be right with God pictures of righteousness. And the problem is that many of those hearing Jesus teach think that they are already right with God, but they think they are right with God because of what they do. For them, everything is a matter of appearance. How they appear to the people around them. Even though their hearts are very far from God. Jesus keys in on this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. To be noticed by them. And Jesus teaches them that. To be right with God is not just a matter of external alignment with the law of the Old Testament, but it's aligning one's heart with God's heart. And many of those who are hearing him preach on this hillside have hearts that are far from him. They're seeking the praise of people and they're not serving him out of a heart of devotion. So last week in Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24, Jesus talks about just that, single-hearted devotion. In a very practical way, he talks about it where we live. As single-hearted devotion to God relates to how we view our stuff, how we view our money, how we, what we treasure in our hearts. And Jesus calls His hearers to single-hearted devotion to Him. And when that's lived out in a practical way here on earth, he, he says gives us an example of what that can look like. One of which is that instead of us trying to store up stuff here on earth, we have a eternal perspective. A heavenly perspective that we're more concerned about storing up eternal treasure than earthly treasure. And Jesus, in the verses that we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, is going to say, if you are seeking eternal treasure, then I'll take care of you. I'll read the verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the text. Matthew chapter 6, starting the reading verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus' point is this. He has just charged his hearers. To not put their heart. Here today. On treasuring up earthly stuff. But rather to have single hearted devotion to him. To have an eternal perspective. To build up heavenly treasure. And not just focus on earthly treasure. And if his followers will do that. He says, there's no need to worry about today. I will take care of you. Recently, one of our relatives had a client who made a large purchase. And he looked at that client and he knew he should recognize this person, but he just couldn't quite put it all together until later he realized that the client who had made the large purchase was one of Ross Perot's children. When my wife and I lived in Texas, while I was in graduate school, I used to go into Ross Perot's company a lot, the company that I worked for, putting myself through graduate school. Uh, we delivered a lot of legal documents and so on. So I would go into EDS, all right off of Forest Lane, and pull in there. I also got to go to the Roger Starbucks office, which was much more exciting. But uh, got to see him a lot. But I never got to see Ross Perot. But I'd go into his company and there'd be cameras everywhere and you'd have to check in through security. It was a big deal. But not once did Mr. Perot ever come out of his office and walk into the main entryway and say, you look like a poor seminary student. How would you like a job? He never said that to me. Now, if Roth Perot would have come out and... and and if he would have said, how'd you like a job? I will take care of you. Now, for most of us, if somebody came and offered us a job and said, I'll take care of it, Don't worry about it. We'd probably say something. You know, we're going to have to get a little bit more fine in our definition of I will take care of you. Right? I mean, we'd, we'd want to see some things in print. We'd like to know, what are you exactly saying? But if it's Ross Perot, a guy who sent his own people into a foreign country to rescue his workers, a guy who has vast resources, if Ross Perot would have said to me, I'll take care of you, I probably would have said, yes, let's go for it. Why? Because I recognize who he is. Now, in a similar way, here, Jesus says to us. You've got a calling on your life. If you are my disciple. There's more to this life. Than just what you can amass. There's more to this life. Than just having. Uh, as, get as, getting as much out of it today. As you possibly can. I'm asking you to actually go through this life. With an eternal perspective. And if you do it. I'll take care of it. Now. We look at that, well, I wonder how he'll do it. How will he take care of me? And we can ask that until we remember who he is. And when we remember who he is, one who has resources vast, vastly beyond Ross Perot's, we are reminded that he will take care of us. We don't have to fret about today. And that's what Jesus' point is here in verses 25 through 34 this morning. Actually, Jesus is going to drive home a point in the first section of this. And he's going to say, if we're feeling anxiety about our needs today. If we're worrying about it. If we're worrying about our daily needs. It actually shows a lack of faith in God. Notice with me verse 25 begins for this reason. Now that little phrase for this reason is going right back to the previous verse when Jesus concluded you cannot serve God and wealth. Remember, he wasn't talking about an employer-employee relationship there. He's talking about a master-slave relationship. And as we said last week, in a master-slave relationship, the master has complete control over all aspects of your life. You can't have two masters because this master demands your all and this master over here would demand your all. You can't have two of them. So Jesus says you can't serve... The master God and serve the master money. It doesn't work. Based on that statement, Jesus then says in verse, says in verse 25, for this reason, because I've just said you can't serve two masters, you can only serve one. I want to encourage you, when you choose God to be the master, for this reason I'm saying to you, don't be worried about your life. Don't be worried about what you're going to wear. Are we going to be able to pay our utility bill? Are we going to be able to have a roof over our head? Are we going to have food on the table this week? Are we going to be able to have basic daily needs? We don't have to worry about that. And Jesus is going to tell us why. You know, a symptom of trying to build up earthly treasure and not heavenly treasure is a consuming anxiety, a consuming fear of not having enough. I grew up in a family of six. Four kids, two adults. My parents did not have very many resources. uh, Just... That's the way it was. When it came to mealtime, there was always discussion about divvying up the food. I used to love it when my mom would buy those little canisters of biscuits. You know the kind that you peel the paper off and you whack it against the calendar, counter and then it opens up. I think there used to be ten of those and ten in and And we were a family of six. So if everybody got one, there's four left over. We would always have a discussion before the meal was served. How are we going to divvy up the last four? If there ever was anything left over, there was always a discussion about it. We had a rule in our house. One person gets to cut. The other person gets to choose. I can literally remember getting out rulers and measuring You always wanted to be the person that got to choose. The pressure's on the guy that has to cut. And we had arguments about that. We're always worried, will we get enough? And one of the symptoms of being an earthly treasure builder... Is an overriding, a consuming anxiety over not having enough. Jesus here gives us three reasons why we don't have to worry. The first one's in verse 25. He's going to say this there's more to us being here than just stuff. He puts it this way. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's more to why you are here. There's more to why I'm here than just us amassing stuff. There's a greater call on God's creative work of humanity. There's more reason for us here than just to see how much stuff we can amass. The next thing he says is that we don't have to worry because God takes care of all of his creation. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet our heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Aren't you worth more than a sparrow? Oh, those ugly house sparrows. You know, some birds aren't that attractive. You see that house sparrow out there consuming the food that you put out for the pretty birds? Oh, those house sparrows. Or those cowbirds. Those parasitic birds that go into a nest and lay an egg and then take off and go have fun and let some other mama bird raise the child. Oh, those Those ugly parasitic birds. Hey, if God will take care of one of them, Jesus says, don't you think he'll take care of you? Aren't you, Don't you have more value than a house sparrow?" The third reason why he tells us not to worry is it doesn't help extend anything in our life. Look at verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? So having anxiety over it isn't going to help. It won't extend our life one bit. So Jesus' point is this. You've got a calling on your life. You're not here just to amass stuff. He's called us to an eternal perspective. He's called us to have a kingdom mindset. And if that's our mindset, if we go about in this life trying to invest in eternity and not just amass stuff here, God says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Look at verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, who's alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? owe you a little faith. You see, what Jesus is saying is this. Worrying about our daily needs actually shows a lack of faith in God. I've got a friend who um, invests in gold. Now, some people feel like gold is a good investment just to kind of have another aspect in their investment portfolio and if the markets go drastically backwards, sometimes gold goes in the opposite way and and they can actually kind of buffer some of their losses. But not, not my friend. My friend exclusively invests in gold and he doesn't invest in a gold fund. He doesn't have some certificate showing that he owns gold. He actually wants the gold. And he... Continues to buy more and more and hide it away because he thinks that once, not if, but when, the entire financial system totally breaks down, his gold will be all that will matter. It will take care of him. And sometimes it's important for us to come back and ask, where does my confidence lie? Is my protector my own ingenuity, my own creativity, my own ability to walk frugally through this life and have a good financial plan? Or is my trust resting in God as my provider? Now, we said last week, it's a good thing to save. The scriptures, there's nothing wrong with saving. Proverbs 6 talks about the mighty ant who works hard and saves. It's a way of wisdom to save. We're also not supposed to sit around and just wait for God to do a God drop and bring us provision. We're not supposed to sit at home watching Hollywood Squares. And, and I don't know if that shows on anymore. Um, and ask God to come provide. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 was talking to a group of Christians who said, Jesus is going to come back soon. Let's just wait for him. And they weren't working. It'd be like us saying, hey, let's just go sit on the mountaintop and we'll have Brian Hill bring his guitar and we'll sing and just wait for Jesus. What's Apostle Paul say? If a man doesn't work... Don't let him eat. Pretty succinct. So these verses are not saying that it's wrong to save. They're not saying that we shouldn't work. What they are talking about is the heart. Where does our confidence lie? I love redundant systems. I was talking to one of our parents this week about a child who was doing an AP exam and I mentioned that whenever I took exams like that I always took a second calculator along. Not just a second set of batteries, a second calculator, because you could have a massive calculator failure. Not just a battery failure, a massive calculator failure. So if you have a second calculator, knowing me, I probably would have had even greater confidence if I would have had a backup to my backup, but I never did that. But I love redundant systems because, you know, you can just always have an extra feeling of assurance if you have a backup to your backup to your backup. And one of the things that we have to ask ourselves as we look at this as an issue of the heart, where does my confidence lie? Do I feel anxiety over stuff? Am I trying to find comfort in extra layers of financial security? Am I generous with my stuff and my resources with other people? Do I find myself disobeying biblical imperative or biblical parameter... Commands of Scripture, do I find myself actually disobeying commands of Scripture so that I can amass more stuff? You see, those are all questions that really come to the heart of the issue. And Jesus is calling us in a very counter-culture calling. He's saying life's not here. This is not our purpose. This is not our end. Our end is not, our purpose is not to see how much we can amass here. He's calling us to an eternal perspective. A kingdom mindset. Which brings us to verses 33 through 34. Instead of worrying about my daily needs today, Jesus calls us as his followers To be kingdom seekers. To be a kingdom seeker. He introduced this to us. Back in the Lord's prayer. when In in Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. He taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. And in a very real way. What Jesus is saying. Is that we. Should seek. Messiah's kingdom. That we should look forward to the day. When God's. Answers his promises. When the anointed king. That descendant of David. We know to be Jesus Christ. Will one day return to earth. And set up his kingdom. And there will be no more people. Taking advantage of somebody else. There will be no more lying. There will be no more undercutting. Broken relationships will be healed. There will be God's right standard. Ruling the earth. There'll be no, no way somebody's gonna get away with anything. God's righteous rule will reign. And Jesus says instead of worrying about today, we need to be kingdom seekers, not only seeking His return, but proclaiming His return, talking about the good news of the kingdom that the one we know to be Messiah, Jesus Christ is coming back. And we need to be preparing for his return by putting our trust in him, by believing that he is God, that he is our only path to be right with God. So Jesus is saying, instead of worrying about today, let's be kingdom seekers. Let's seek his kingdom and his Righteousness. Remember in the book of Matthew, when Matthew talks about righteousness, he's talking about right living. He's talking about personal uprightness. We saw it in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That in our own lives that we would walk in an upright manner. That God's justice Would reign over the whole earth, seeking the kingdom and seeking his righteousness are intertwined. Jesus says, instead of worrying about amassing stuff here on earth, let's be kingdom seekers. Let's be men and women and boys and girls who seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and not worry about today. I love verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and the older we, li- longer we live, the more we know that verse is true, don't we? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's not worry about tomorrow. When I was in high school, our phone rang at night. Now, for you young people, you may not even know what that means, but. People like me, growing up, we had what's called a telephone in our house. And it had a cable that went out of the phone into the wall. And if somebody wanted to call us, it would ring. And then you'd have to pick it up. You wouldn't know who's calling, but you'd have to pick it up. When I was a kid, we had a party line. Meaning that more than one family shared the phone line. And you had to recognize if it was for you by how the phone rang. My grandparents had a party line and there was an older lady in the neighborhood that just sat on the party line all day long listening to what everybody was saying. And my grandma was kind of a mean person and sometimes she would just kind of yell into the phone, did you get all of that? Stuff like that, like if the lady would cough, you know, that was a different era. (laughs) But when I was in high school, in the middle of the night, around 3 a.m., our telephone rang. Woke us all up. Because they were really loud. There was nothing like putting your phone on vibrate. That wasn't even in anybody's thinking. Woke us all up. My dad answered the phone. And we lived in Iowa. But my father worked in Nebraska. He could never bring himself to live in Nebraska. We had to stay on the right side of the correct side of the Jordan River. In the land of promise, Iowa. So, But he had to get in. He drove over to Nebraska. The next day, I said, Dad, what was that all about? Why did you get up and have to get dressed? And we all got woke up. You drove over to Omaha. He said, well, that was a friend of mine who had been thrown into jail. And he wanted me to come be with him. And he told me the story of this man who was a good friend of his at Northwestern College. At that time, it was in Minneapolis. Now it's in St. Paul. A Christian college. And this man was a really good friend of my dad's. He loved Jesus Christ. Wanted to serve Jesus Christ with all of his heart. And when stuff like this happened, my dad used to turn it into like a teaching opportunity. And so he said, now I want to talk to you about what happened with my buddy. Because he really loved Jesus, but He ended up marrying someone who really was just concerned about stuff. Just wanted a lot of stuff in life. And he got married and then that kind of started to become his dream. And so he just started to try to amass stuff. And they got more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. Until he lost all of his stuff. And then when his wife realized that he didn't have any more stuff. She went and found some other stuff. And left him. And then he just went spiraling out of control and ended up living on the streets, addicted to alcohol in the middle of the night, calling my dad to come be with him. And I remember my dad saying, now you need to learn from this. As you find a spouse, it's not good enough that someone just says, I'm a Christian. You need to look for someone who loves Jesus Christ. And that's the same thing I tell my boys. You know, Jesus' words in verse 24 are so true. Can't have two masters. We can't yield ourselves completely to God and also at the same time yield ourselves to completely amassing stuff. And Jesus here is saying, if we seek after him, With our heart, if we have a wholehearted devotion to Him, He'll take care of us. And sometimes that's hard for us to really want to have confidence in. Don't I have to build in a little bit of some redundancy here? Don't I have to kind of trust God, but also kind of keep a stash and, you know, try to really try to have something to fall back on in case God doesn't come through? Well, it's easy to think that until we recognize who he is. He has resources vastly beyond what Ross Perot ever had. Because he's God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And when he says, trust me, we can We don't need to fear not having enough. Because he will take care of us. Father we thank you for these verses. And the simple truth that they contain. That you are worthy of our trust. That you are a trustworthy God. With resources beyond our imagination. And that you are big enough. To care for the needs of your people. That if you care for the birds of the air and can adore the flowers of the field, you can make sure that our daily needs are met. And we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.